this weekend might be the most important weekend for you to be in church. So good job, you made it. Because today, because you have an opportunity today to make a decision that will not only change your whole holiday season, but even your whole life. See, this week, most of you will gather around with friends and family and celebrate Thanksgiving. And you'll probably eat some good food, have some great times, and have some moments that are fun and sentimental. And then, as soon as that is over, it's like a gun goes off and crazy explodes everywhere. Black Friday starts on Thursday. Okay? It's crazy. You, you, you go out, you do the midnight blockbusters. You're checking all the ads. You'll trample grandmas to get those doorbuster sales. And, and, then, and then Cyber Monday hits, and your laptop starts smoking because you're using it too much. Your credit cards are crying out for mercy. Literally, literally in the next month, you will buy more than you have probably bought in the last 11 months. You've got to buy gifts. You've got to decorate the house. You've got to go to parties. So not only will you be eating more, but you'll not only will you be spending more, you'll be eating more. Okay? And some of you will have to work more because you have year-end deadlines and quotas to meet. And then if that wasn't enough, they let the kids out of school. <laughs> no, that's not stressful at all. In fact, research shows that we are entering into the most stressful period of the year. So I want to ask you, what do you want the condition of your heart to be at the end of all of this? Do you want it to be exhausted, stressed, depleted? Or do you want to be able to sit back and say, this Christmas, I did it right. Well, today we're going to talk about the one thing you can do to make that shift. It's the one thing. And if you decide to do this one thing, it can change your whole holiday season. I'm really excited about this message because I get to share with you a sermon that I first heard about 30 years ago from my pastor. And it has stuck with me ever since. And finally, I get a chance to share some of these ideas with you. So, what is the one thing that nobody has? Enough. Some of us have more. Some of us have less. But it seems like none of us ever seem to have enough. We always want more. More money more success, more likes, more stuff. But more does not equal enough. More just makes you want more. So why is it? Why is it that we always want more? Well, the Bible answers this in the very first stories of creation with Adam and Eve. See, it says that when God created us, he put us in a world that was perfect. 
We lived in a world of yes. And God provided everything that we needed. However, at the center of the garden, at the center of a world of yes, there was one thing that God said no. Because he wanted us to trust him. And then the tempter came and said, did God really say that? I mean, did he really say that? See, he wants us to doubt God's truthfulness. Can we really trust God to tell us the truth? See, then his second question was even more hideous. Is God really good? I mean, come on. God is withholding something from you. The one thing you don't have is the one thing you need. And God's keeping it from you. Because if you had that one thing, then your problems would be solved. Then you would be significant. Then you would be powerful. You would have meaning. You would be like God. And then third, the tempter came up and said, yeah, you can't really trust God. You should not live in humble dependence on him. You should take it for yourself. Because then you will become everything you want to be. So do you see Satan's diabolical plot? Satan's great temptation is to, every day, every day is to get us to ask those questions of God. Is to get us to take our eyes off the world of yes that God has given us. To take our eyes off all the things that we have from God. And look at the one thing we don't. And Satan's goal is to convince you that if you had that, then your life would be great. And nowhere, nowhere is this more prevalent than the Christmas season. Because there are a whole lot of that's that people are pointing to. So, what if you actually got everything you wanted? Think about that for a second. What would happen if you actually got everything you wanted? What would it do for you? My guess is your first reaction, well, it'd be great. I'd finally be happy. I would have everything I've ever wanted. I would finally have enough. No. You'd have more, but you wouldn't have enough. See, what's amazing is God actually went out of his way to answer this question for you. God actually went out of his way in Scripture to answer the question, what would happen if you got everything you wanted? And the story is terrifying. You see, God tells the story of his people. In the Old Testament, he tells the story of his people, the Israelites. And about 1,500 years ago, they were slaves in Egypt. Now, if you were a slave, what is the one thing you would want more than anything else? Freedom. 
And so God gave them that. God, God freed them from slavery, but they weren't happy. They weren't content. And then they said, well, if we can have wealth, we've lived in poverty, we've lived in slavery, we have nothing. So God gave them incredible wealth. But they weren't happy. They still weren't satisfied. And then they said, you know, if we could have hope, if we could have a promise that good things would come to us, because terrible things have come to us so far, but if we could have hope, so God gave them that. God gave them a, prom- a promise of a promised land and a promised life with him. But they still weren't happy. They still weren't content. And then in the desert, God provided for two million people food and water. He gave them the stuff called manna. And manna, this was the perfect traveling food. See, if you think chicken and tinfoil is the perfect traffic food, traveling food, you're wrong. That's not true. Manna was perfect. It gave them all the nutrients they needed for a day, and it just showed up in the morning. They didn't even have to work for it. But still, they complained. They complained about the manna, because, man, they ate manna in every possible way. They had baked manna, boiled manna, fried manna. They had manna on a stick when they went to the state fair. They had manna burgers. They had manna cotti. They had manna banana cream pie. (laughs) And they were sick of it. With all of that, they still complained. They still whined. If you would only give us meat, then... Our lives would be complete. Then we would be happy. So you know what God did? He had quail fly into the desert. And every morning, they were knee-deep in quail. And still, they weren't satisfied. They weren't grateful. They still complained. And that complaining attitude created a plague in their bodies. And this is what it says in Numbers 11. You can read along. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of craving. Because there they buried the people who had craved other food. What happens to us? When we get everything we want, we die in a grave of craving. Because more is never enough. You may get more, but you won't get enough. So how do you save yourself from this? How do you save yourself from this trap, this grave of craving? Well... The answer comes in one of the most repeated phrases in Scripture. God says this over and over and over again. Here it is. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's read that together. Everyone together. Ready? Give thanks to the Lord, 
for he is good. His love endures forever. Why is this one of the most repeated phrases in Scripture? Well, obviously, because we need to be reminded of it over and over and over again. See, what's amazing about this verse, this verse counters Satan's great three lies to every one of us. Did God really say that? He's not telling you the truth. Give thanks to the Lord. God's not really good. He's holding back. He's withholding from you. For he is good. You can't trust God. Trust in yourself. His love endures forever. This verse counters Satan's three great lies that he told to Adam and Eve and that he tells to you and he tells to me. This verse counters each one of them. And so one of the best things you could say this Thanksgiving season and this Christmas season is give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, we're going to shift into the audience participation part of the sermon. Are you ready for that? If you're hoping to just sit down and kind of nap for the next, yeah, you're out of luck, okay? So, audience participation, ready? Shake it out. Shake it out. Ready? Get yourself loose. Get yourself ready. I am going to help you be a more thankful person this morning. So, first, let's look at Psalm 100, verse 4. Take a look at this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. We can actually enter into God's presence with thankfulness. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at this same verse in the message paraphrase. Enter with the password, thank you. Think about that. You literally enter into God's presence, his throne room, by saying, thank you. Thank you, God. So we're going to practice that right now. We're going to practice that, okay? Now, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you a scenario, and you're going to say out loud, thank you. Think you can handle that this morning? If not, go grab another cup of coffee, okay? Because you need to say this this morning. Here we go. Ready? When you taste something, and it is delicious, God didn't have to give you taste buds, He did. You taste something and it is delicious. You say? Thank you. When you want to do something and your body does it and you can get up out of bed and walk and lift and smile, you say? Thank you. When you go to work and you can work and receive a paycheck to support you and your family. You say? Thank you. When your heart beats a hundred thousand times a day, you say? Thank you. There you go. 
end. When you don't have to live in Wisconsin, you say? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wisconsin, Matt, you're all awesome. Don't worry. Okay. Now, what happens when we don't thank God? What happens when we don't do that? Well, take a look at, the, at this verse out of Romans. Romans 1.21. Here it is. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we are thankful, we literally enter into God's presence. But when we are not, when we complain, when we whine, when we don't thank God, we literally become dark-hearted fools. So how many of you have complained about something this week? Okay, we're going to do just a mass confession because confession is good for the soul. Here we go. So how many of you have complained or whined about, here's a list, the weather, your job, or politicians? Yeah, 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 okay. You've complained about your money, your weight, or your in-laws, or your in-laws' money or weight. Have you complained about the spouse that you have or don't have? Have you complained about the kids that you have or don't have or that one you wish you didn't have? How many of you have complained this week? Well, when you complain, you move toward hell and you smell like smoke and you become a dark-hearted fool and you damage everything. You damage your family. You damage your workplace. You damage your church. And you damage your own soul. There is an alternative. There is an alternative. To help you with that, I'm going to give you two definitions. Two definitions here. First is this. Thankfulness is wanting what you have. Let's everyone say this out loud. Thankfulness is? All right. Let's practice this. We are going to practice being thankful for what we have today. You ready? So I'm, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to respond, I want my blank. It couldn't be better. Okay? When you walk out to your car after church, and it's got a dent, it's leaking something weird underneath, and it has a strange smell. You walk out to your car and you say, Okay, that was the first one. Let's see if we can do this with a little more gusto next time. Okay? When you look at your clothes, you look in the mirror, and, you, and your clothes make you look a little frumpy, and they're a little out of date, and you look at your clothes and you say, Yeah, when you go to your job and you have to deal with your boss and the turkeys you work with. When you go to your job, you say, I want my job. It's better. And then you look at your body in the mirror, the body God gave you, and you say, I want my body. It's better. Really? Okay, yes, even that one. 
We can all stand to use a, eat a salad now and then, though. Ah, oh, think about that. When you want what you have, you are living a thankful life. You are rejecting Satan's lies. And you are entering into God's presence when you are thankful. Let me give you another definition. Contentment is not wanting more. Let's say that one all together. Contentment is? Yeah, okay. So how do we remember this? So who's more content? A person with five kids or $5 million? The the person with five kids, because they don't want more. (laughs) See, now that joke kills in a white church. Like a mom church, I should change that to like 10 kids. Because some of you are like, five kids? That was my bedroom growing up. (laughs) But think about that, man. Think about contentment is not wanting more. See, the reason contentment is so difficult is because we're here and we always want to be there. See, we tell ourselves, I'm here. But if I were there, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be successful. Then I'd have peace. Then I'd have contentment. I can't have it here. I've got to have it there. But you know what? There's a lie. Because there are people here. And you know what they're saying? No, I'm not content here. I really want to be there. You may be there, but really I want to be there. There are people where you want to be who want to be somewhere else. And the truth is, if you're not content here, you're not going to be content there. So, we are going to do some contentment exercises today. Are you ready for this? So, we're going to do, we're going to do some training to help you, help you understand this a little bit. Here you go. Okay? I am going to show you a picture of something, and you're going to say, I don't need it. Okay? I know you're all scared now. Here you go. When you see some amazing Black Friday deals, you say, I don't need it. When you see the new iPhone 11, you say, I don't need it. When you see your favorite clothing store is having an amazing sale right now, you say, I don't need it. When you see all your friends talking about Disney Plus, you say, No, now that's just crazy. We all need that. Have you seen the lineup? Man. Thankfulness is wanting what you have. Contentment is not wanting more. So if I gave Pengfoa an unlimited day of shopping at Mall of America, would she be happier, more content, No, we will never know. (laughs) So, I want to wrap up by giving you an opportunity to practice some thankfulness. I want to give you a chance. See, a few years back, some folks at Harvard, smart people, some folks at Harvard did a study on gratitude. And they discovered some amazing things. First, 
They had to figure out what makes a person thankful. How do you measure a thankful person? Well, and here's what they discovered. They discovered one habit that was consistent across everybody who was grateful. And what it was, was they would sit down twice a day and write down three things they were thankful for and then say it out loud to somebody. They would do that twice a day. Three things, twice a day, say it out loud. So if you wrote down a list of six things you were thankful for, does that make you a thankful person? No. You got to do it twice a day. Because days long, we all know, we forget very quickly. And you got to say it out loud. If you wrote down three things and three things, but don't, didn't tell anyone, no, nope, still not a thankful person. You've got to say it out loud. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing they found. People who did this were more creative, more energetic, more optimistic, more socially connected. They earned more money. They were more forgiving. They were more generous. And they were better looking. Okay, I added that last one myself. So we're going to do that today. We're going to be closing off our sermon here with a chance for you to be thankful. You're actually going to write down three things that you're thankful for. So I want everyone to either pull out your phones if you like to write on that or grab one of the connection cards directly in front of you. Pull that out. Grab a pen. Grab your phone. Pull it out. Open up a, a note file on your phone. And I want you to write down three things that you are thankful for. Three things. Go ahead. So I am thankful for my wife, Pinkfoa. I am thankful for this church. I love you. And I love that I get to do this every Sunday. And I'm thankful for my improved health. So those are the three things that I wrote down. Three things. One thing, two thing, working on that third thing, three things. Okay. You got them? Now. We're not thankful yet because you got to say it out loud. So I want to turn to someone you came with or someone you are nearby. If, if you came on your own, you get to meet a new friend today. So turn to somebody around you, in front of you, behind you, and I want you to say out loud those three things that you are thankful for. Go.
Wrap up in another minute. Congratulations. You are all halfway to being a more grateful person. And you're all 50% better looking. I'm looking at y'all. It's true. Because you're smiling. You're hugging. Your face is filled with joy. And that's what happens when we are thankful. So, at the end of December... What do you want the condition of your heart to be? Where do you want to be when all of this is over? Practice thankfulness. Wanting what you have. Practice contentment. Not wanting more. Say thank you to God and enter into his presence. Resist Satan's lies with the great truths of God. And get ready for a different type of Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. Join me in prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your church. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that you gave us through him. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you right now, right here. And thank you that we have an, a, a promised eternity with you where you will make all things right. God, we trust you. God, you are good. And God, we live in humble dependence on you. I pray against the lies of Satan in each one of our lives and in this season. God, I pray that you can give us hearts of contentment and thankfulness in you. Heavenly Father, we give you the glory and the honor forever and ever and ever. Amen.